0: Welcome to We Fish ASA, the best darn fishing show on the radio of the internet in the entire USA. My name is Steve Sarley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We Fish ASA is always pleased to offer you conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining, as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, especially St. Croix the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, In Daiwa. Daiwa, it's the one name you need to know when you're thinking about reels. They cover all the price points, they cover all the quality levels, they start at good and go up to great. Daiwa. We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week, available 24-7. Everywhere you get your podcast. Don't forget it's always available at our website, wefishasa.com. Brad Nearman from Berserk Productions down in Lando Lakes, Florida. Makes everything sound as good as it does. He's our executive producer. And on today's show, we will be speaking with Dan Johnston from St. Croix. Uh Dave and Dan are going to be talking about fishing weed lines. How important is that? Uh, On our Calcutta segment, Dave is going to bring on Marianne Husky, a very good friend of mine who just won a big event in head-to-head fishing. She knows walleye as good as anybody out there, and uh, she may be the first female who has ever won a major tournament event. Marianne Husky is going to talk about head-to-head fishing and fishing for walleye. And we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, Blame it on me, I had a scheduling snafu this week, and I'm playing a... uh, Plan a rerun for our main guest. I'm thinking about uh, who to have on and headed on down to ICAST in Orlando, Florida, and I will be seeing somebody I always enjoy seeing and get to spend a little time with. That is the most famous fisherman in the world, the one and only Bill Dance. Yeah, we're going to play an old interview with Bill Dance. It is from June of 2017, the first time we had him on the show. And it'll be nice to hear Bill talk. And it will be nice to hear Dave and I in studio together talking to Bill. uh, Because it's been such a long time since Dave and I have done this show together. So we'll do a little rerun with uh, Bill Dance. And we'll be back next week with uh, the guy that just won the uh, last elite season of the year, Taku Ito uh, from Japan. He's going to be on the show with us next week. But today, a rerun with Mr. Bill Dance. Let me flip it over to... uh, Dave Kranz is going to bring on our friend Dan Johnson. Take it away, David.
1: And as Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the Weedfish ASA podcast, and this segment is brought to you by Sinkroy, the best rods on earth. Welcome back, Dan Johnson.
2: Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, glad glad you're here. We're going to dig into uh, deep weed lines today. It's summertime. You know, deep weed lines can be done with a lot of different baits. They can be done with a Carolina rig, a jig, a drop shot, crankbaits. There's so many uh, different uh, ways uh, we can help teach people how to fish deep weed lines. And what a great time to do it in a hot summer.
2: It's so critical. And it's a... Really big topic, most people think, well, post pond summer fish they're going to pull in your lake vegetation, so they're going to be on the deep weed line, yeah, that's true, but there's a lot to it i I mean in turn number one, identifying what exactly that means is it a hard to find edge, is it more sparse is it are there targets within it you know is it close to really deep water or I mean there's so many things that we want to have in our mind and certain things, so in other words the deep weed line is is where they go it's motel six we all know that but there's a lot you can find spots on the spots off of that as well
1: yeah and, and you know we've got a couple things you touched on it there and you said are they sparse or let's start with you know i've had several places uh that i fished uh and the madison chain up in wisconsin comes to mind where you get on those weed lines and they're like a wall it's just like a like a you can have a wall of six and eight foot weeds in, in 10, 12 or deeper foot of water. And, and uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah,
2: it's a really, it can be where they want to be and where you want to fish, but sometimes it's not. I mean, wh- one thing I'll say about those, those wall type deep weed lines is they they seem to be awesome on bright, clear days, number one, or number two, when you get Quite a bit of wind in them because it'll pull them, and they'll be right on the edge of it, and you can catch them on a moving bait on the outside of it, and not even necessarily touch them, or fish over the tops so, up. But that hard-defined edge shows up awesome on the graph and some lakes are just that way i mean you have a lot of it you know so you can find it a a lot of times dave what what we're looking at is anytime you find something different in that you know is it does it come out next to a channel edge or does it make a break or does it go sparse and then hard target or hard to edge again and what what i sometimes try to avoid is that big long straight edge you know i'd like to have it at a point make a turn change the length of it or whatever it's just something different but boy they could be really good
1: yes they can and and i think uh, in the past i've looked at them and if you if you graph them and go over them, look at it it can be it's not necessarily a straight line but it, it can look like the shoreline and and that's exactly the way you should fish it when it looks like that isn't
2: it yeah and and you know one way to they'll get in that stuff and it early morning a lot of times there's two these two schools of thought, and I get completely talking on, on my own behalf here, but I'll get out off the edge of it and knowing that they're more, you know, their strike zone's a lot a lot wider. But another thing they'll do is you'll get them to come up out of it. So like a spook or a buzz bait or anything like that can pull them. Um, or one of the best ways to catch them by far is to get them with a crankbait and get the crankbait not necessarily so it goes over the top of them clean, but just so it barely rip gets in them and then you rip it out now bite it on that slack line it it's an amazing technique and you can throw a crank bait that's a little too shallow and you get a crank bait that's ticking the tops so those things or every once in a while hangs one and you, i'm talking about ripping it sometimes so hard you almost hit the rod butt of your rod with your other hand to pop it free and bite it on that slack and it's a great technique on a hard edge
1: yep that's why that's one way to get them uh uh how about if they're they're kind of sparse and you said you like it when there's a a change of you know maybe there's possibly there's sandy areas or maybe even better yet some rock in there uh, on the bottom and you don't have uh, a totally thick uh, choked weeds where you know the top water as you suggested or the crankbait both can be effective no matter how thick they are because they'll bust out of it and come and get it but what about uh, something that's a little more sparse?
2: Yeah, you know this is a this is a good one because I I prefer that only because and and this is another personal thing for me I get bigger bites on a jig and a big big worm 10 inch plus so if I can get a bash jig into vegetation I prefer that and the hard wall sometimes is hard to do it because it's just so thick there's there's ways you can do it like you can rig a punching rig with a skirt make it look like a jig I get that but if you get sparse vegetation and you take a bass jig, not, not a football jig, but more of a jig. And I'll trim the weed guard just a little bit on it, but get it down and snap it through the weeds as well. is a, is a really lethal way to catch them. And you want it to get down in the stuff, but you know it's not so thick that you can still get through it. And another thing about the sparse type of vegetation is it seems to be amazing in the wind and clear water because they're in it. You know they're in it, but the weeds aren't so thick, they get rattled out. Like in pencil reeds or real heavy vegetation, when it's really blowing, it'll actually bump them. They'll stay in that stuff and win. It's ultimate for lipless rattle bait, spinner bait, uh, bladed jig, things like that. It's crank bait. It's just amazing. One of my favorite ways to catch them.
1: Awesome. Now, is there um, perfect conditions to do something like that with a Carolina rig, or do you need to have more of a where it's just deep a deep edge, not deep weed line
2: well you're letting a little secret out there that's a good one too because you put a uh, uh, especially with tungsten when you can feel the bottom if you find sparse weeds with a hard bottom and you can find hard bottom with tungsten whether it's on a Texas rig or definitely on a Carolina rig. And you can feel the hard bottom if you get in and stuff. The nice thing about the Carolina rig, I'd say about Tokyo rig as well, but a Carolina rig especially because the bait's back farther, is you can get up out of the stuff, and it's a lot more natural because the weight is not connected to the bait. It's a really, really good technique. You don't want to put a ton of action on it, but the weight's down there banging around, and your bait's just kind of up in suspension getting through that stuff. Great technique.
1: Now, when I do a Carolina rig, as you just suggested, I generally, so it does come off the bottom and the weights on the bottom, but I, the bait that is off the bottom, I generally like to use something that's uh, got a pretty good float to it. Is that something you also do?
2: Can be. I mean, there's, there's definitely baits that get up off the bottom better. But the big thing is with the Carolina rig, I... I have to think this is true is that weight banging around down there makes them kind of find it better so if i i don't necessarily use things that that have a lot of buoyancy to them because i know it's back there digging around in that stuff but it's also fishing loose i don't i don't i'm not a believer that you have to have something necessarily floating in vegetation but that weight's banging around on they making that it's agitating it and they come check that out and they find it
1: Oh yeah, I think that weight probably uh, could quite uh, possibly uh, mimic like a crayfish scooting along the bottom there, and it's making these little disruptions of the sand or muck or you know whatever's there. Uh, the floating the floating a- idea I use because sometimes you'll get that green filamentous algae on on some of that cover, and and then I like to keep out of it a little bit. But we'd know that right away because you'd pull up some of that and it'd be stuck stuck to the point of your hook, and you don't, certainly don't want that, do you?
2: No, you don't. But a really, really good technique, too, in, in that scenario, and in Carolina in general, is to put that little bead or some type of noise, some type of little brass, whatever, on it so it makes that click. Because not only is that tungsten banging on that rock, but anytime you can make them come find it, it's amazing how, I mean, I've seen them in clear water close to the boat. They'll actually target the weight first sometimes, and mm-hmm. then they'll all of a sudden see that bait, and they'll go back and eat it. So it tells me that if I'm in vegetation or wind or anywhere granted you got to stay connected with a carolina rig but anywhere where you're in a scenario like that and they can hear it as much as they can see it it is in my opinion equally as effective
1: yeah and i like your idea about the bead i always use the bead not only for the noise but it also protects your knot and i think that that helps tremendously also
2: Well, absolutely. It's part of the nature of rigging it, but think outside the box and try to make it make noise as well. So you can go glass. There's a little brass pieces. There's a lot of things you can do to make, I would say this about any type of uh, uh, Texas rig or Tex-posed rig or Carolina rig, or uh, there's things we can do to tubes, you know, uh, there's things we can do to make them noisy just as much as they, you know, as effective fishing naturally.
1: Yep. How about drop shot in, in this case? What? How can that play?
2: You know, it's funny because a lot of people don't think you do it because they think of the drop shot as nose hooked. But if you hide that hook and there's hooks that are made where you can fish like uh, magnum trick worms, uh, that it's, it's absolutely lethal. Again, it's a tungsten, at least in my opinion. It's a tungsten deal with a little shorter leader and I'm actually casting it or pitching it, not... Dropping it straight down a lot. And sometimes i will do that, but pitch it out and fish it back. And I'll be honest with you, that's like in my top three. There's just not a there. I don't think there's a ton of people that do that because they didn't drop shot automatically. No way. I'm not going to get it through this heavy vegetation. But it absolutely does if you hide the hook.
1: It does. And like you said, people can look at the different types of hooks that they can use and they'll have uh, a hook with a keeper on it. Some of them have a little lead keeper on it and that can definitely be uh, very effective. And Well, as always, I definitely appreciate your insight to every topic that we get to talk about and um, definitely uh, look forward to talking to you next week on the WeFish Fish ASA podcast.
2: Yeah, thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Looking forward to it.
1: No problem. That was Dan Johnston. This is the WeFish Fish ASA podcast, and this segment was brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on Earth. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the we Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. My next guest is uh, very happy today because uh, she had just won a head to head fishing pro walleye series uh, uh, tournament, and I'd like to welcome Marianne Husky. How are you doing, Marianne?
3: I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing today?
1: I am doing good. So. Uh, the format on this uh, uh, head-to-head fishing, when I look at it, it looks more like it's a basketball bracket for March Madness.
3: Oh, it is absolutely. And wait till we go to the championship because there will be 16 anglers competing and that is it. So it will be like the sweet 16, just not in March. Instead, it will be in October.
1: There you go. So, uh, For the uh, listeners that aren't familiar with this format, uh, why don't you explain it to them a little bit?
3: So it started out with 32 anglers at the beginning of the season. Um, There were invitations that were sent out. There was an interview process that the anglers had to go through. And um, there are five regular season events. At each event, all 32 anglers compete for the first two days. And the eight top anglers with the most cumulative weight from the two days, they move on to day three, and then there is a bracket system. And you are paired up against another angler according to your seed. So first versus eight, second versus seven, and so on and so forth. And it's an elimination process. If you win your bracket, you move on to the winner's bracket. Obviously, if you lose, then you move to the loser's bracket. So um, by after the first day, there's the top four and there's the bottom four and so on and so forth. So it's really exciting. Um, it is a true head-to-head competition, and it's fantastic to participate in, and it's awesome to watch also.
1: Yeah, very neat format. I I, uh, I, I have had the opportunity to watch some of this, and uh, uh, it, it's pretty neat the way they do it. And, and you're, it's kind of nice not fishing against the whole field. You get paired up, and you, you, you break it down, and you're first qualified, like you said, from the first 16, and you go forward. So this one was on... Uh, Pool uh, two of the Mississippi River, correct?
3: That is correct. And you know, there's something that I I think that people don't know about the head to head. And uh, the reason I know this is because I I do get messages with people saying, "Hey, you know, use this white Mister Twister, or do this in the backwater, do this." And we are not allowed to accept any unsolicited information for 30 days prior to the event. None.
1: Well, Dan, Absolutely. that is good to know, so that people don't send you that information because you don't want to have that problem where um, they're trying to be helpful and and you can't do that. It's not not allowed in the rules. So, g- g- thanks for bringing that up. That's great.
3: Yeah, and if we do get the information, which it still happens, we turn it over to our tournament director, and then that director shares it with all thirty-two anglers. So <laughs> everyone has the exact same information, which so, is pretty interesting. Yeah,
1: so they're not they're not giving you anything you don't have. So um, correct. Right. Well, and. You know, I I guess that's the right way to do things. I I know uh, on the bass level, we can get whatever's out there for everybody to see, but we, the same thing where you, you get to certain levels and you can't get information and you really don't want it that way anyway. Uh, Correct. So what types of, uh, what were the baits and techniques that work best for you in this uh, event?
3: Well, I started out on day one and I was throwing a jig and um, a Kytec plastic. And it wasn't working, it was sinking too low, switched to an eighth ounce jig from a quarter ounce, still wasn't low enough. I was actually seeing the walleyes physically um, on the surface, and then I could see them on the Garmin Panoptics, And they were really, really high in the water column, and I'm talking the first foot and a half. So I started digging through the boat and found um, the first thing I started throwing was a crankbait that was a shallow crankbait. And I got one stuck in the beaver dam back there, so I lost that one. Um, the color wasn't right. They weren't. There was no bites. And then switched over to um, a blue and silver in color, and then that's when I caught my first weighable fish. Um, and then I switched, as I saw the fish um, go a little bit deeper in the water column, I switched to a Walleye Nation Creation Shaky Shad number 5, so it's a smaller shad-style bait. The water color was a little dirty. I only had about six to eight inches of visibility, and the shaky shad has a real loud rattle in it. And that was the first big fish that I pulled was on that bait, um, right up against the shoreline. And it wasn't just the bait, that was the technique. I was really ripping the bait through the water and letting it pause, and my line was slack. And I let it sit there for three to four seconds, and they hit it on that that long, long pause. So the shaky shed got me the one that was just over five pounds. And then also um, another big one, which was over six and a half, around six, two or six,
1: five, somewhere in there. Excellent. What size do they have to be to be considered weighable?
3: Two
1: pounds or greater. Okay, and but you catch them, you measure them, and they go right back, or weigh them. In we the weigh way. them, yeah, correct, right. and they go
3: right back. Yes.
1: Okay. Yeah, and I think that's the format that seems to be uh, moving forward in the uh, sport fishing world, as far as for just about everything. And I think it's uh, it's not a bad thing. It's. Uh, uh, I think it's good, and we're we're all about conserving resources for for our industry. Did you have any uh, major weather changes that were uh, an issue for you?
3: You know what? We didn't. Um, We had one day that we had some rain, but the fish that are in the river system aren't as affected. They still are affected, but they're not as affected as fish that are in a lake. Um, where the water temperatures can flip on them um, so our, the the temperatures were consistent the weather was consistent and the bite was consistently horrible
1: <laughs> yeah so
3: yeah that didn't change either
1: <laughs> it didn't get better uh, it did not now th- this is the first year for the pro walleye series
3: yes it is okay. they uh, had a couple of walleye events last year it was tough with covid you know right. um, they weren't able to to get out of Wisconsin. So I did participate in two of the events last year.
1: And what states are you going to now? Where where does this go to?
3: So our next event takes place in Nebraska. That is at the end of August. And then the championship is in New York State on Lake Chautauqua.
1: Excellent. And so where were the other ones, Mississippi River and the other qualifiers?
3: Detroit River, we started out with Mississippi River, and then we had um, Lake Wisconsin and the Wisconsin River.
1: Now, uh, out east there in New York, is that a pretty well-known walleye area? Is it connected to a river system? or
3: No. As a matter of fact, there aren't any of us on the out of the 32 anglers, I don't think, that have ever fished that body of water, which is, makes it even more exciting.
1: It does. Going, to, going somewhere new and, and uh, figuring it out has got to be one of the, uh, the challenges and uh, I'm sure the frustrations but also the rewards when you do it.
3: Oh, yeah, that's my favorite thing. I, I do much better on bodies of water that I've never fished or that I dislike. Um, it forces me to think outside of the box. And if I go to bodies of water that I know, I don't do as well because I always go back to memory, and that's not good for me.
1: <laughs> better, yeah. Uh, so how about sponsors? Who do you have uh, helping keeping you on the water?
3: Well, I've been with Lund Boat Company for a very long time, Um I have fifteen years, maybe. Same thing with Mercury Motors, um, Garmin Electronics, and Walleye Nation Creation. Um, I just signed on with Mags M A G S, as in Sam Mags Rods. Um, I used started using their rods uh, over a year and a half ago, and absolutely love them. Uh, Mister Outboards Water Sports in Green Bay, Wisconsin, um, excellent for service. Uh, my boats are delivered there, and they're just a top-notch marina here in, in the Green Bay area. So, um, and I also started wearing a new uh, rain suit that's made um, overseas. It's called Graff, G-R-A-F-F. So, um, real lightweight. It's outstanding product. So, I would say that would be that, that would be the sponsors to be talking about for sure.
1: Excellent, excellent. So, uh, you are the first woman to win a major walleye tournament is that that right
3: that is correct yes uh
1: are there any other women fishing in this uh this league right now
3: no no not at all Mm-mm.
1: so i would There's imagine the- very
3: limited numbers in the walleye industry on the pro side for many years right um, so and it's too bad it's unfortunate hopefully we can get some more gales out there that um that do some more fishing it would be great
1: yeah because it's uh it's something that it doesn't make any difference uh, uh, whether you're uh, male or female. Or you can you can go out there and compete at this. and And I think the other thing that's nice about our industry is you you can be 20 years old or you can be 70 years old and you can still go fishing.
3: Absolutely, you bet.
1: No, I think I think it's a it's a good thing. So, what's the uh, the plans? Uh, I, does this win automatically qualify you for the championship, or how do you get into that?
3: It does not automatically qualify me. Um, It did jump me up in the standings, so I am currently in fourth place now overall, which is fantastic. You do have to be in that top 50% or top 16 anglers to make the championship. So one more tournament to go. Uh, I still need to have a good showing, and I know there's a cluster of guys that are around that 14th place to 21st or 22nd place that are real close in points and those guys are going to be fighting hard to get into that championship so i need to maintain definitely maintain where i'm at plus i want a good um seat going into the championship
1: yeah because you will you'll be placed that way to uh, uh the way these brackets work right that's it yeah it's the same same things which is which is uh, a very very neat format and uh i think uh you know, people should be watching. That's if they're not. Are, your plans are to do this next year, and are, are they uh, going to expand it or keep it about the same? What do you know? What the the head-to-head um, fishing as far as do? I
3: know, they'll be keeping it the same with the thirty-two anglers. Absolutely, um, they're already working on the schedule for next year, so that's very exciting. Um, there was a lot of angler contribution to the conversations and the choices of uh, the bodies of water, so I believe that will happen again for. 2022 um i am anticipating a meeting with all of us coming up here in the next month month and a half um to to help dial things in for next year so really exciting stuff coming down the pipeline
1: excellent do they do you anticipate them going to some of the same bodies of water because some of the places to fish walleye are just great places to fish walleye
3: i think they're gonna try a whole new batch of bodies of water Hmm. Um, I don't, that's one thing about head to head is they don't want to be like the rest of the, um, tournament circuits where you go back to the same place over and over again. So I don't anticipate them doing that at all.
1: Hmm. So maybe they'll, they'll cycle every few years and maybe go back to some of the same ones, but try to add new waters, which I I think think is honestly
3: enough bodies of water that they won't cycle through for three, four, five years.
1: Yeah, that's exciting. And I think that probably it levels the playing field even more
3: absolutely and that's the goal so they're doing a great job i'm very happy to be a part of it and uh, looking forward to heading out to um mcconaughey in nebraska next
1: excellent and uh we'll we'll uh, pay attention and uh watch and and hopefully we'll be calling you again and uh, maybe you'll get a second win that would be awesome wouldn't it
3: that would be fantastic
1: well i definitely uh thank you for being on the podcast and congratulations again on your thirty five thousand dollar win and uh Uh, Look forward to following uh, what you do the rest of the season.
3: Well, thanks so much. You have a great day.
1: You too, Marianne. Thank you. That was Marianne Husky, winner of the Head to Head Pro Walleye Series up on the Mississippi River on Pool 2. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote. And this segment was brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. The We Fish ASA podcast will be right back.
0: We're an outdoor coastal trading company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Born in the back of a Florida bait and tackle shop, Calcutta was created with a rebellious spirit and a goal to offer hard-working outdoor products at a reasonable price. Calcutta builds the products that fit your lifestyle. We're on a mission to help you reclaim your free time and to declare mutiny on the mundane. Depend on Calcutta Gear and Apparel. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. While Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG-4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Tatula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. We are back! We Fish! ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Please help to ensure the future of fishing by visiting keepamericafishing.org and if you're an industry professional please consider joining the American Sport Fishing Association by visiting asafishing.org. Well I said it before today Dave this is our 52nd week and we had to do this one before we went past the year mark. Here is a guy, our next guest is just, I think he's the greatest fisherman of all time, at least in the history of professional fishing. Uh, we'll talk about his record. Everybody knows this guy. If you don't, come out from under that rock you're hiding under and meet Mr. Bill Dance. Hi, Bill. How are you? I'm doing great,
1: guys. How you doing? We are doing good and, and, and really happy to have you on our 52nd show.
4: Well, it's wonderful to be with you. It's okay. absolutely, and congratulations
1: on number five, too. Thank you very much. And you know what?
0: We we asked the hard questions here. We're going to get right down to what a real tough one. You're from Colliersville, okay. Tennessee, right? Is it Colliersville? The,
4: the, yeah, Collierville, Tennessee. I'm just about 30 miles
0: uh, east of Memphis. Okay, you ready for the tough one? I don't mean to offend you by this. Are you I'm ready. are you a fan of the rendezvous style ribs or the Corky style ribs? The, the the dry rub or the wet ribs? What what is it? Come on, let's <laughs> hear let's hear it. Let's hear it. <laughs> well, I love both. I love dry
4: ribs. I really do. But Charlie Burgess was a good friend of mine who owned the Rendezvous, and Nick Burgess who runs it now. But uh, I eat at both places. They both have fabulous ribs, and. But dry ribs are really my favorite uh, by far. Uh,
0: uh, all right. Fair enough. I mean, I
4: mean, Corky's, uh, there's a Corky's probably 20 minutes from where I live. So I go to Corky's probably more than I do the Rendezvous. But the Rendezvous is the the old place downtown. It's the most, one of the most famous uh, places. It's got a tremendous reputation. And they ship ribs all over the country well Corky's
0: does too so uh, I've, been he- places. I've been here i've been hearing about the rendezvous all my life finally made it to memphis going to their place has just the greatest ambiance in the world it's such a cool place to go into the, the waiters are great i ordered the ribs that i've been hearing about all my life they bring them and i'm going what the heck is this Where's the sauce? And they said you might want to go to Corky's, sir. <laughs> I said I've been waiting for this, and I got dry ribs, which we, you know we don't do that up here, right? <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, that's it for that's it for me, Bill. That's all I wanted to talk about today <laughs> was ribs. No, no I'll well, tell you one thing. They make some mighty good ones. No, oh. they for for sure, for yeah, you sure. Know, I, you know, know
4: here's barbecue. Memphis is the barbecue capital of the world, so.
0: We we've got some mighty good barbecue down here. I can tell you that. Oh man! Oh man! Let's talk about uh, let's talk about some fishing and Bill Dance here, uh, and I, I think people need to go into the internet and look up Bill Dance and look at your record and what you've done. It's it's absolutely amazing uh, the accomplishments that you had. You you won everything you were in just about. Uh, you've uh, you've done major things like pretty much invented and, and popularized the use of the Carolina rig. Heck, you were the first person to catch a fish in the Bassmasters altogether uh, which, which is absolutely amazing but you won and you won and you won and then you chucked it all to go into media and TV and you stopped competing and you could have been winning and winning for many years. Now that said and, and obviously I'm don't have to tell you how good you are how much you've done I I have a son who's a really good fisherman he's 30 right now and he asked me one day He said what's the deal with this Bill dance guy I says is he really a good fisherman or what he says all all I see him is getting a fishing pole stuck up in a fan or falling out of a boat or his uh, trolling motor comes loose what what is the deal how's he get a TV show I said son he's the best fisherman in the world best fisherman ever was probably be the best fisherman it ever will be. I give bill dance all the credit in the world for publishing those bloopers that we all enjoyed, but it's taken away from a phenomenal legacy as truly a great and classic fisherman. Do you ever regret that or think that people look at you the wrong way now?
4: Oh, no, absolutely. You know, uh, those bloopers were probably one of the greatest things we ever did. Our producer one time, he said, uh, he just, uh, he stuck a couple in a show and, uh, uh, and we got a tremendous response from it. And, and from that response, we got a call from Dick Clark productions in Los Angeles or New York. I can't remember where it was from. And they were doing Ed McMahon and Dick Clark were doing, uh, super bloopers and practical jokes. It was a, a very popular show on NBC. And they said, we'd like to know, do you have other bloopers? Huh. And Tony said, uh, Tony was our producer at the time. Tony said, uh, yeah, we have in our archives, we've got probably quite a few bloopers. And they said, we'd like to have a few of them. And uh, could we run them? And we said, yeah, well, like a long story short, uh, we signed a contract with NBC, and they wanted like eight or ten a year. And right after that, CBS came with a blooper show, and then ABC came with a blooper show, and the BBC in London came with some kind of a blooper show. Hmm. So we had a contract with four major networks that we were furnishing bloopers to. And one day, Tony said, uh, why don't we just do uh, devote one show to bloopers, outtakes? and we'll get one of our announcers to uh, do the narration, the bridges on it. And I said, well, whatever you want to do. And we did that, and it was a tremendous success. And it wasn't long. We've, the next year, we we did another one. And then we got the idea to put a tape together. And that tape was, we put it in either Bass Pro Shops and Walmarts and uh, many of the sporting outlets and it just went over big time uh and then along came video three blooper three and then blooper four and do you know today those things are still just popular as they can be there i know they run them on uh, youtube and uh people tell me all the time and so i saw uh one of your outtakes the other day but if you fish a lot uh if you play golf a lot uh if you bowl a lot, if you play baseball or football, things happen, and it just so happened that we do a two-camera shoot. And Tony, our producer, I said he told the camera crew, he said, "Keep the cameras rolling. When something happens, just keep it rolling." And uh, so they compiled over the years a lot of outtakes and things that just happen uh, when you're fishing. I mean, there are mistakes or goof ups. And it just happens to everybody. So, uh, do I look like a clutch? Do I look like a, a goofball? Yeah, I guess I do. But uh, those are just things that happen. So, uh, so be it. Uh,
1: if you can't be good, be good at it. You know what I mean? Ha <laughs> I like that. Well, you started out as being a fishing educator and trying to help all of us uh, learn how to catch fish, and you end up being an entertainer. What's wrong with that? And I'm sure that the uh, the dollars that follow the entertainment end of your business were were as good as, if not better, than some of the educational uh, segments. Well, you know, the, the strength of Build Dance Outdoors, uh,
4: we're in our 46th, 47th year of doing uh, outdoor television programming and the strength has always been in our educational format and we've often said as long as you can entertain and educate at the same time you've got the best part of both worlds and so uh, we've been very very fortunate to be able to do that and I've been very very fortunate to be able to associate myself with people a whole lot smarter than me and work with a lot of very very talented people that work extremely hard to make me look good and that's hard to do so <laughs> but we uh, we're very very fortunate that we've had leaders in the industry that have helped us along our sponsors our sponsorship and we've had some sponsors uh for that length of time believe it or not i can uh, without being commercial but i can name you several sponsors that have been with us for practically 40 45 years
1: and so, please do go ahead uh, they not absolutely recognize those guys well it's like
4: like mercury marine mercury's been with us a long 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 time string fishing line uh I was with Strand long before they even became a sponsor of Inside Outdoors. So, uh, monofilament, fishing line, you know, 9 car- fluorocarbon and braid. The Strand is, I've been with Strand for a long, long time. But, uh, but we have sponsors that, uh, uh, that we've been with for many, 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 many years. And, uh, so without good sponsorship, you don't have anything. So we've been very blessed from that standpoint. And, Uh, Without good sponsorship and good viewers, uh, we wouldn't be where we are today. And I just thank the good Lord for it. Uh, uh, My career, uh, would I change it? Oh, sure, there's things in it I would change. But uh, I think anybody would. But I've been very, very blessed that I've got a very understanding wife that uh, has always believed in what I've done. And she's been very supportive. Uh, Diane and I have raised four children, three boys and a girl, that have been very supportive. And uh, uh, we've been able to educate them and give them a good life and not give them everything they wanted, but give them many of the things they wanted. But we've been fortunate to give them a good education and they're all doing well now. And so, in fact, two of them are working for me. Uh, our youngest boy and our oldest son, our uh, oldest is doing computer graphic work, our youngest is doing computer graphic work for us. And my oldest is doing all, a lot of our social media stuff, which is an intricate part of what we do so but uh it's uh it's been going well i mean i just people say how long are you going to do it and i always just say well i hope to do it forever
0: and then a little bit more so (laughs) uh, it's
4: really really the only life i know that's that's what i've always done you know i always said i want to be able i'd love to have a job uh in this industry i'd just give anything in the world to go to work for a tackle company well it's lucky luck would be uh, the tournaments came along back in the late 60's and I participated in the first one and I was extremely lucky, I, I did extremely well in that first tournament and then the second one I was I think I had three seconds that first uh, first year and then the next year I won three in a row and I was offered a job to go to work for three different lure companies, major lure companies and uh, I just couldn't believe it, it was a dream come true and I accepted one of those companies, and I went to work uh, doing promotional work, fishing with riders, fishing with big buyers of uh, major of uh, sporting goods outlets, and and then uh, I thought, well, if I could do it for that company, I could do it for myself. And we we toyed with the idea of, of doing it. And in fact, my buddy and I we started a Strike King Lure Company way way back yonder. Long time ago, and that it, it worked out fine for a while. But the tournaments were present and fishing with riders, and I was trying to run the run the lure company along with Charles and Charles Spence, my partner. And we just uh, it was just hard to do. And finally, I just uh, turned the lure company totally over to Charles, and I continued on with television, and uh, I made a career out of that. So.
0: I think you made. Uh, I think you made a good choice there. Hey, folks! Uh, I, I don't know I don't have to tell you. You know the voice. You're listening to the one and only Bill Dance. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have more Bill Dance for you.
2: For most anglers, the unexpected is expected. But what you can do is take matters into the seat of your well shorts. Meet Aftco's Overboard Shorts, winner of the iCast Best In Category for technical clothing. Built with a 100% submersible pocket that keeps the unexpected dry. Dock for the other guy. Overboard keeps the good times rolling and your valuables safe for the next adventure.
0: Overboard shorts
2: from Aftco. Learn more at aftco.com/overboard.
0: Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. While Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long-control light lure casting. MAG-4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Tatula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. The St. Croix story has evolved over 70 years. With gritty determination, St. Croix built the most advanced fishing rod facility in the world. And with it, a world-class brand that has earned the respect and admiration of anglers around the planet. We will continue to challenge ourselves, our employees, and our partners to be the best every day. We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on earth. St. Croix. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. We're brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Don't forget, we're on Facebook, so please like us and share us. We're also on Twitter, Twitter. If you follow us on Twitter, we'll let you know who our guests are every week. If you were following us on Twitter, you'd know that Bill Dance is our guest. Welcome back, Bill Dance. I got a question for you. You're a very, very humble man, uh, very personable, likable. You're you're a God-fearing man. Uh, Just got so much going for you personality-wise, and I don't find you to be braggadocious at all. You're a, a... a simple guy, but I'm going to ask you a question here. Are you Thank the you. are you the best bass fisherman it ever was? What do you think oh, about that? Oh my goodness no! Oh my goodness no! I'm
4: just lucky. Uh, I've uh, I've been able to make my living uh, bass fishing, and I've been very very fortunate to have done as well as I've done bass fishing. But uh, I came along at the right time. Uh, bass fishing has always been. Uh, uh, very special to me and I I can thank my granddaddy for that my granddaddy was a doctor and growing up uh, over in middle Tennessee spending a lot of time with my granddaddy uh, he taught me more about the anatomy of fish he taught me more about anatomy than he did how to fish but he he did teach me a lot about fishing but I learned more about moving water in those early days and even today moving water is still my favorite type of fishing I love to jump off in a creek with a spinning rod and just wade down a, a creek here in Tennessee and catch smallmouth and whatever uh, through the summer and early fall months. But I still like that. I like fishing rivers, um, but I love moving water. But, and I guess I can contribute that to my granddaddy, but he taught me a lot about anatomy and uh, how I fish here, how, uh, how I fish see, uh, the importance of sound. And I
1: remember little growing up over near Lynchburg, Tennessee, in Jack Daniels country.
4: Uh, the town would close up uh, a half a day through the middle of the week. And I remember when when everybody would the stores would all close and everybody would take a half a day off. It was just customary in a, in a small community in a small town. Well, grandmother and granddaddy and I would take off and. We'd either go to the creek and spend an afternoon, but this particular day we went to uh, Cumberland Springs Lake. But I had I been benign a bait, and the only place you could buy artificial baits back then was the hardware stores. You didn't have uh, Bass Pro Shops and Walmarts and, and big uh, discount chains where you could go buy lures or the internet or anything like that. You bought your fishing tackle in, in hardware stores. But I'd been looking at this one bait, and it was an Arbogast Jitterbug. And the old guy that ran the store, he'd take it out of the case, and he'd let me hold it, and I looked at it. Well, I bought, finally, my grandmother gave me the money, and I bought that bait for 75 cents. And believe it or not, those old baits are still made today. But I took that bait, and I had a a metal rod, a true temper metal rod, and an old uh, Shakespeare reel or a Langley reel with braided line, uh, cat gut, we called it then. Tied to, uh, uh, it's like a braided line. And uh, I remember we went to a lake, not too far up the creek uh, from where we normally fish, grandmother and granddaddy. She spread a quilt and she'd sit there and, and crochet and granddaddy would fish for red ears, big shell carpers, kinky pins. And I took this little rod and I walked out on a point. And I I made a few false casts, and I just absolutely froze to death. I just froze in my tracks. I saw a bass about two pounds and one about a pound and a half swimming along in this crystal clear water. And I made a pretty good cast. I made a cast to the fish, and the bait landed about 20 feet from them, which wasn't a bad cast for me back in those days. But what amazed me, when the bait hit the water, both fish stopped. And I instantly remembered what my granddaddy had taught me about anatomy. I said, golly, those fish heard that bait hit the water. And and I started moving it. And when I started moving it, both fish turned in the direction of the bait. And that just impressed me so much. And I said, so I went, blah, 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 blah. Well, that old jitterbug started moving it across the surface of the water. And both fish started swimming. They did not, they couldn't see the bait, but they heard it. And I'd move it. And they'd move. And I'd stop the bait, they'd stop. I'd start the bait and they'd start. Well finally, knowing they couldn't see it, but they could hear it. And finally they got within range where sight is a principal sense. Uh you gotta see it to to eat it. The bigger fish was the most, most dominant. It made a, a run right up to the bait. I had stopped the bait, and it was about two feet from the bait, he could present eye contact with the bait, and I started the bait again and he Boom, he blasted it. And what impressed me so much was the sound. They could hear. They could see they, how they reacted. And I mean, it was just like looking in an aquarium. And the water was just crystal clear. And I could just see everything going on. And here I lured this fish into hitting a piece of plastic with, metal, with aluminum on it. That was the turning point in Bill Dance's career right there. Nothing in my life turned me on quicker been actually seeing and experience and all that. But the anatomy of learning a lot about how fish hear and how they see. And I did a lot of research and talked to a lot of fishery people, ichthyologists and biologists. And one of my dear friends, Mark Sosen uh, who wrote a book through the fish's eye read a lot about that. And I learned a lot about fishing through anatomy and how fish react under certain conditions. And so that helped me tremendously with my fishing. Um, uh, but the turning point in my life was really saying from that old jitterbug and seeing that fish, how those fish reacted to the sound and then how they reacted when they saw the bait. But that was a special moment in my life. I'll, I, and I'll never forget it. And I've relived it. A, a well, not a million times, but I've relived it a bunch of times. But, uh, it was
1: a special moment. That, well, you relived uh, it I again. You relive it again with yeah. us, and we we appreciate that. So that was great. So you're you're uh, in your youth, and you're you're going fishing with your granddad and, and grandma, and, and that's awesome. What do you think about these kids today? Where what we have coming up with the high school and college guys? Well,
4: you know, I was blessed that I had a daddy and a granddaddy that introduced me to this great sport, and I encourage. I just we just had a, a, a Tennessee Wildlife Resource Agency, our, our game and fish department, we just had a big, big tournament this Saturday. After Saturday, We had about a couple hundred kids. And to watch these kids, and a lot of parents except one family, you know, one parent families now, and it's so sad, but these mothers bring their kids, they want to learn, they want to learn to fish, and to see these youngsters uh, get so excited catching their first fish, or catching a fish, but uh, I, I can relate to that and knowing how I was when I was little, uh, and to see the excitement level, and now to see how it's starting to grow, uh, and to see how what we're doing with uh, high school bass teams and our collegiate bass teams, and to see all these youngsters coming along and, and, and getting into the sport and, and you know, participating more in the sport from the competitive side. It's, uh, it's a great thing. I mean, I, I'm for it 100%. Uh, like I said, uh, uh, we're all competitive, uh, but it, it was just, the, uh, Americans are just a competitive breed. Uh, if you and I are sitting there and Illinois is playing the uh, uh, University of Tennessee and we're fixing to kick a field goal, I'm going to bet you a Coca Cola that uh, we make a field goal or we beat Illinois by three points or. If we play golf, we're gonna, uh, you know, uh, bet. We have a bet, or if we sell insurance, we want to be the salesman of the month. If we sell cars, we're gonna, we wanna uh beat the top salesman of the month. If we drive to work, we make eight traffic lights yesterday. We play little mental games. Maybe we can make ten today. We're just a competitive breed. And fishing gives us another opportunity. We're competing against another living creature, and that's one thing that just makes it so special, trying to figure out how he lives in his world and how we can figure out how to get him out of his world into ours. If it's only for just uh, a few seconds that we've accomplished what we set out to do was to catch him, And lure him into hitting a fake, like a piece of plastic, a piece of metal, a rubber, or whatever it is. And then we have caught him, we've accomplished what we had to do, or we wanted to do, and then we release him uh, to be caught again. But it's just a, a challenging sport. It's like Vince Lombardi once said, you know, winning is achieved through determination. And I don't care how determined you are. You're not always going to be a winner when you compete against Mother Nature and her creatures, but it's so much fun to try. Uh, there's days we win, there's days they win, and most times they win, and that's the way the good Lord intended it to be. But it's the challenge, it's the fun, and these high school kids that are starting out, and they see what the collegiate boys are doing, and the collegiate boys seeing what the pros are doing, Uh, it it just keeps our sport going, and I'm for it 100%. I just love to see this. I really do, and it helps our industry, too, big time. And you'll see it at the ASA show. Uh, You see new products, You see, and that's why I love to go to the ASA show, not only to visit my sponsors, but to see a lot of the old guys, see the the Roland Martins and Hank Parkers and the Jimmy Houstons and the Kevin Van Damms, and we all get together and we see each other all together at one time. And uh, to see all the new products, and new electronics, which are just unbelievable how, how fast that market's growing. We see the new rods, the new reels, the new lines. Uh, we see, uh, all as I said, it's just something new all the time. So we see what our competition's doing. Uh, and it's just uh, it's amazing how fast our industry's growing and how big it is. And with these tournaments, with like I say, the high school, the collegiate, uh, and even the pros, uh, it's what's keeping our industry alive, and so I'm for it a hundred percent.
0: What what year was the first classic? Pardon? What year was the first classic? Oh,
4: good Lord! Uh,
0: it was way back yonder. Uh, late late sixties, late sixties or whatever. I'm thinking, you know, most boats uh, didn't have live wells. There was uh, electronics were just coming in. Uh, They took you to a lake that nobody knew you were fishing on, so there was nobody waiting for you to weigh in. Now you look at what happened, how this has grown this year down in uh, Houston or whatever, drawing these mega crowds like it's the NBA Finals or whatever. Oh, yeah. Did you you ever imagine that this would turn so dang big? when, When I first started, I
4: remember the first Bassmasters Classic. And I remember walking in, I think I want to say it was in Birmingham. I remember walking in and I looked and it looked like each vendor had a little card table set up. <laughs> and Boy, you walk in, hey, you walk in there now, goodness gracious. Hey, you just think, Oh man, it, this thing has grown so big. It's just unbelievable. And I, well, I look at back at the industry as a whole, I, I saw it in its infancy when it was just starting out and, uh, I look how I look at trolling motors where they are now. I look at rods, reels, line, hooks, fishing lures, uh, boats, motors, uh, the electronics. Oh my gosh! I I talked to my uh, electronic sponsor this morning, uh, the Grass People, and uh, we were talking about uh, the state of the art uh, uh, equipment. That it's like live TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just. You go to live view and you just uh, turn your uh, shoulder motor on and start moving, and looking at your graph. You can see your lure moving through the water. You can see a fish actually hit your lure, and that—that's state of the art. I mean, who would have? If I told my granddad that, if my granddad he, he, he'd come back alive. He wouldn't.
0: <laughs> it. It was oh, hey, that'd I, be great. Hey. then. Oh, hey. you know, I have I have um, so, Bill Dance and Dave. I am so disappointed. We're out of time, and Bill, I'm okay. really. I'm really okay. sorry. I'm really sorry. I wanted to really get into it. We've never talked about Bill Dance Signature Lakes, which I find incredibly interesting, and I promise you we will talk about this at some point. Love to have you on again. You're phenomenal. I'd love to, again. Yeah. Love to.
4: Love to be with you all anytime. Hey. I think you do a great thing, and congratulations on 52, 52 weeks. And uh, Anytime you know where I am, I'm right down here in Tennessee. Give us a holler, and I'd love
0: to spend time with you again. Bill Dance, thanks for doing our anniversary show. We will do it again. We'll see you down in, uh, in Florida at yes. ICAST. We'll, Looking we'll... forward to seeing you at ICAST. Looking forward to it. All right, Excellent. He you. is the one and only Bill Dance. Thanks for being with us. That wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast. I'd like to thank today's guests. You just heard a true legend in the industry, Bill Dance, and what a nice guy. That wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank today's guests, Dan Johnson from St. Croix. Great, great subject matter on fishing weed lines. Uh, Marianne Husky. Boy, it doesn't get much better in the world of walleye fishing than Marianne. She did a great job winning that head-to-head tournament. Thanks for joining us. And then uh, it's nice to be able to play an oldie. Bill Dance, the uh, most famous fisherman in the world. Everybody loves Bill Dance. And it was from 2017, back in the day when uh, Dave and I were in studio together before the COVID crisis. So it was nice to hear Bill Dance, and it's nice to hear Dave and I doing the show together. Hopefully, we'll get back to that again someday. I'd like to thank our sponsors, St. Croix, the best rods on Earth. Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion. Daiwa. Take a look at that new Totula Elite Reel. you love it as much as we do. Please remember that We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. Available 24-7 on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, free apps from Stitcher Radio, on the Apple App Store, iHeartRadio, and don't forget you can also hear the We Fish ASA uh, podcast on our website, wefishasa.com. If you like what you hear, please let us know. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about or someone you think we ought to have on this show, let us know that too. I'm Steve Sarley, my partner is Dave Kranz. We'll see you next week. Now, let's go fishing.
2: I'm professional angler, Kevin Van Dam. And people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn-out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it.